Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to this month's Emerging Market Lens and Look Through Podcast. I am your host, Damian Sassauer. And today we are joined by one of my very close colleagues, Sergey Voloboyev, our own head of EMEA FX and Rate Strategy here at BI, based in London. Sergey, a real privilege to have you here. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you very much, Damien. Well, Sergey, there is a lot of debate going on, as you well know, about the Fed's glide path and the fact that markets are pricing in rate cuts later this year. Certainly a similar discussion could be had for the EMEA region, right? Where markets like Hungary, I mean, you know, they've already begun and they could be cutting again, you know, on Tuesday. So, you know, my question for you is more broadly across the CE4, how do you see inflation pressures evolving in the current environment and how are policymakers thinking about it across the region? Sure. Inflation has been very sticky uh, in this part of the region in particular, uh, mainly because they all uh, suffered from very large increases in energy prices after the onset of the uh, Ukraine war. Inflation has been coming down in most countries, at least uh, in headline terms, uh, but not necessarily in uh, uh, core uh, terms. Uh, and in, in Poland, uh, core inflation, for example, has yet to peak and has been rising steadily uh, over the past several months. In Hungary, hopefully, we have seen a peak, a, a very high one, above uh, 25% year-on-year. Year. But that already allowed the central bank uh, to cut the uh, upper range of the rates corridor. And indeed, uh, we may see a first reduction in effective rate uh, next week at, at the policy meeting. Well, you know, Sergey, it's funny, you know, you mentioned Hungary and, you know, we know what's going on there. And, you know, we all know the impact geopolitics are having on the rates and FX regime. You know, Hungary is blocking half a billion euro of financial assistance to Ukraine right now. And, you know, the question that I'm hearing from my uh, from my audience is, is this rift between Brussels and Budapest deepening? I mean, we know Orban's government struggling to unlock that $30 billion of EU funds. Um, you know, what comes next? Well, I would say we will see very likely more horse trading and then some invariable uh, concessions uh, from the Hungarian authorities. It's just that relations between Hungary and Ukraine uh, have been very poor long before the onset of the war. And it's about the treatment of uh, Hungarian ethnic minority in Western regions of Ukraine, the rights of the Hungarian language there. Uh, and these issues have become only worse uh, since the war uh, started, uh, in part due to the fact that Hungary is effectively the closest uh, supporter or kind of tactical political ally of Russia in the region. So certainly uh, investors have to be uh, concerned uh, about the, the, the degree of animosity uh, between the, the two countries, that is uh, Hungary uh, and Ukraine. But um, at the same time, Hungary is part of the EU. Uh, that is not 
being challenged by the Hungarian authorities. They do depend on uh, flow of uh, aid from the EU. So over time, we will very likely see uh, more of the same. That is, there will be uh, new, new uh, concessions offered uh, both both uh, by Hungary and, and the EU, and eventually most of that package will be unblocked. But for the time being, uh, the assets, uh, including the foreign, uh, have clearly been unperforming. I mean, but the foreign has been such a star performer this year. I think it's the best performing currency of the 21 major emerging market crosses in my universe. I mean... Another, you know, uh, country that kind of stands out to me in your region is uh, South Africa. Very similar in the respect uh, to Hungary in that, you know, you've got, you know, basically a, a, a de facto allegiance to Russia in the midst of the war in Ukraine. I'm curious, you know, what is going on in South Africa? Because the RAND, quite frankly, has underperformed every currency on the planet. It's at the exact opposite end of the spectrum. It seems the only thing that's, you know, keeping, you know, that, that that's allowing us to make this comparison is the relationship with Russia. You know, what's going on in South Africa? We know about the rolling blackouts. We know about the SARB. I mean, where are we in the hiking cycle there? And what comes next for the South African economy? Well, South African ground uh, is... Uh, on par with ruble uh, um, so far this year, so both the down 14% uh, against the dollar. Both happen to be uh, commodity currencies, so they represent economies that heavily depend uh, on commodity exports. So uh, that link, uh, you know, is is there. But but clearly, there's been uh, other factors that have uh, added to the uh, downward pressure uh, on the exchange rate, uh, growth concerns, in particular related to the persistent disruption of uh, domestic energy supplies, and and the most recent uh, bout of weakness, which was due exclusively to these uh, geopolitical concerns uh, clearly were not helpful uh, for uh, for uh, investors uh, in in the rand uh, it's not easy to see kind of how much substance is behind these allegations from the American envoy that the South African authorities were uh, involved in uh, supplying military equipment to Russia and, and has been denied by uh, by the South African uh, government. And, and, and there was some recovery uh, in, in the currency thereafter. But, but the fact remains that um, certainly the economy is weak. Uh, the end of the tightening cycle is just around the corner. It's very likely that we have only one uh, move uh, left, and we're not 100% certain uh, uh, about the, uh, the, 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 the uh, calendar for monetary policy decisions in, in this environment. And, you know, the, the South African uh, Reserve Bank is, is not known for resisting... Uh, uh, downward pressure on the exchange rate. I mean, they, they understand perfectly well that uh, they need to make sure that uh, exporters are not being put under excessive uh, pressure through unwarranted strength of the exchange rate. And, and investors in the run know this. So the run can move uh, quickly. And, and that's been the case so far this year. Uh, we are positive on uh, the currency's longer term prospects, that is, three years and, and uh, further uh, uh, on, on the horizon uh, as uh, w we expect uh, both the demographics and, and the uh, diverse nature of the South African economy uh, to help with uh, maintaining uh, steady uh, 
income of, of foreign currency going forward. But in the meantime, the growth concerns, the electricity disruption, and other geopolitics are clearly playing on, on the other side. And domestic politics as well, right? I mean, the decline of the ANC. I mean, it's obviously been, you know, it's, it's off publicized, but, you know, this time, you know, sentiment toward the ANC appears to be, you know, as weak, uh, as weak as we've ever seen. And, and, you know, when you talk about domestic politics, I mean, you can't ignore what's going on here in Turkey, right? So, Sergey, I mean, the political cost of Erdogan's policy measures, you know, the fact that, you know, many believed we could ultimately see the AK, AKP ousted from power. I mean, excuse me for laughing, but that's exactly what it is. It's laughable here. I mean, he is, you know, the longest uh, serving strongman in the EU. I'm talking Erdogan here. And, you know, the man has nine lives, you know. So it's it, it, it's just amazing, you know, that, you know, Turkish asset prices had rallied to the extent they had, or shall I say they failed to sell off to the extent that, that their peers had, you know, amidst the promise of uh, of a change in power. And now here we see commodity. Kalichtarulu, you know, we have a runoff coming up in uh, in less than two weeks. You know, talk to us about, you know, what investors are doing here, what positioning looks like. I mean, amidst everything that's going on, you know, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, what's this election runoff look like? I mean, you know, what are you thinking here? Well, foreign investors positioning in Turkish assets have been very low, Um for the past several years, uh, unsurprisingly so, because the so-called unconventional monetary policies uh, are eroding uh, confidence of investors, uh, both external and domestic, in the ability of the monetary authorities uh, to uh, avoid an eventual balance of payments crisis. And we've seen many of these crises uh, in, in Turkey uh, over years. But the, the current situation is particularly worrisome uh, because well, net uh, foreign assets are negative. And uh, if we- But it's been that, that way for, Sergey, sorry to cut you off. You know, I've been, we've been talking about this for years now about their negative net FX reserve positioning. I mean, where's the money coming from? Is this Russia? Is this the Mideast? I mean, are they being sponsored by, you know, other geopolitical regimes here in order to just keep on going here in the current state? What are your thoughts? Well, official support from Russia comes through the uh, nuclear energy cooperation, and, and these inflows are chunky. They are in, in, in right. uh, billions uh, uh, of dollars over time. But the uh, more persistent and, and less transparent uh, flow of money from Russia into Turkey has been on the uh, private sector side, that is the individuals and businesses who chose to relocate uh, from Russia after the onset of the war, have been funding uh, their new base in Turkey, uh, corporate or personal, through various channels uh, of inflows, uh, sometimes directly through Russia, sometimes through neighboring countries. And, and these inflows have been uh, very persistent. But on the official side, it is the Gulf uh, governments that have been the largest uh, sponsors of the uh, Erdogan regime uh, through uh, very large uh, foreign currency deposits or swap arrangements with the central bank. Qatar has been leading the race, but uh, Saudis have been rapidly catching up and uh, other countries have, have helped recently. So uh, these income, um, the, 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 these flows, the, the, these uh, foreign currency inflows uh, into uh, Turkey are important, but ultimately, you know, they are finite. I mean, even Qatar yeah. would not be in a position to bail out this government indefinitely if the economic policy uh, set up is completely ruinous. 
I mean, I mean, for our audience, and and many already know this. Uh, you know, the estimate is that Turkey's already spent an estimated one hundred and seventy-five billion dollars in stealth interventions over the past sixteen months alone, just to support the Turkish lira. I mean, a large swath of those funds will not be seen of again. It's almost you know like you know, so it, they're eradicating whatever cash cushion they have, and those monies, if they are indeed coming from places like the Middle East and Russia, eventually, you know, you got to believe the Qataris and others will get a bit fed up with that. So, you know, and the other thing to your point about foreign positioning in Turkey, you know, I think the number that I've been told is foreign holdings now of, you know, all Turkish stocks and bonds are just under a quarter of a trillion dollars. At one point, they were 150 billion. That's about 10 years ago now. But, you know, a very, very big decline. So positioning is relatively light. And so I, I guess it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot to move the market there. But, you know, let's shift gears a bit. Let's let's go back to the CE4. Let's talk about what you're seeing, you know, in places like the Czech Republic, for example, where markets are pushing back against central bank governor Michal Hawkish-Bayres. Um, you know, easing was expected to start in the fall. It may still very well uh, materialize. But just curious, you know, what, what are your thoughts on what the market's pricing in now? Well, the Czech policymakers, um, same as as their uh, Polish peers, are very reluctant to deploy any more policy moves in support of the exchange rate, but they they keep the rhetoric. Uh, They they are persistently hawkish, and and that's helping uh, to keep the uh, exchange rate strong uh, in in the Czech uh, Republic, uh, and and that's clearly a a very powerful anti-inflationary tool. Uh, What's worrisome uh, in, in this setup is that at some point the market will stop believing these statements and say, well, okay, well, inflation has peaked, it's coming down, so the rate, rate cuts are coming, uh, and, and therefore the currency may at some point adjust uh, pretty quickly. And, and the, the, the Karuna has been uh, strongest uh, performer in, in this um, region uh, over the sort of past year or so. I would say the foreign has only been very strong since mid-October or so, but, but, right. but Czech w- w- was, was there before. And, and clearly we're seeing a further slowdown in growth, uh, not just in the Czech Republic, but, but also in the neighboring economies, including Germany. And uh, in the, the automotive sector uh, concerns and, and travel uh, regionally are well uh, known. So the, the, the issue with the strong Karuna policy is that it also cannot last forever. Uh, at some point, reality will have to catch up uh, with it. And, and the reality is that growth has been weak. Uh, the uh, effective interest rates have come down. The, the carry uh, has clearly uh, declined, especially it's uh, sort of low compared to regional peers such as uh, Hungary and Poland. Mm-hmm. So once uh, we do see further evidence of uh, disinflation in, in the Czech and, and, and then market starts pricing cuts uh, very near, then um, certainly uh, the, the exchange rate will turn. It's probably not imminent uh, and uh, kind of the, the stickiness of, of inflation is the main constraint there. But um, sort of towards the end of the year, uh, the sentiment will change and uh, most likely we'll see first cuts uh, in, in the sort of... Uh, kind of uh, three months horizon so september currently looks the uh, the most plausible start of of the easing cycle you know sergey it's amazing not long ago we were once talking about the czech corona as a funding currency <laughs> 
you know, speaking of funding currencies, you know, um, we can't not talk about the Israeli shekel, right? I mean, it's been one of the weaker performers on the year. It's been a great funder. I mean, low yields and all that stuff. But a lot of that can also be attributed to the political regime there, right? And what's going on with Netanyahu and with the overhaul of the judicial system or the proposed overhaul. I mean, nothing's been done yet, certainly. But, you know, when you look at, you know, EM dollar credit, sovereign credit, um, at least, you know, by my measure, um, you know, Israel has, I mean, in terms of from a spread perspective, um, is one of the best values you might find in the EM investment grade universe after, you know, all that we've seen, right? And so, you know, talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing. What are you thinking about Israel? What are you thinking about local rates, about the shekel, and if you can, about Israeli dollar credit, if you're, uh, if you're able to speak uh, about that as well? Well, let's begin uh, with saying that uh, Israeli economy is pretty insulated uh, from the region. Uh, it's mostly focusing on the uh, U.S., uh, U.S. high-tech in particular. It is uh, one of the strongest uh, credits uh, in the region. And this currency is typically well-managed. The central bank is extremely professional and, and you know, very reliable uh, as a policy institution. What has been happening this year, especially um, since late January, uh, with the onset with yet another round of uh, political uncertainty, not, not just on the security side, but also uh, through this uh, attempted reform of the judiciary uh, that has uh, alienated uh, so many Israelis um, uh, within the country and, and you know, back of Israel uh, outside the country, including in the, in the U.S., is that uh, there's clearly a sizable part of the uh, investor audience uh, focusing on Israeli assets who have chosen uh, not to be long and increasingly reducing their exposure to Israeli assets uh, over the past uh, three months or so. And, and, and we can clearly see this uh, in, in, in the shekel uh, performance. I mean, it's down nearly 4% uh, since uh, late um, in January, uh, even though the central bank uh, has been uh, reasonably hawkish and has been doing everything that, that investors would expect it to do. But when the central bank uh, issued a statement uh, warning the government that its uh, attempted reform of the judiciary is in no way uh, conducive to uh, stimulating uh, uh, consensus within the society and uh, improving the investor climate in the country, that was a very clear signal that even hardcore professionals, uh, technocrats at the Israeli Central Bank are getting fed up uh, with the fact that the government is uh, seems to be largely ignoring uh, concerns uh, of the economy. Sergey, you know, it's interesting, um, and I just have to get your take on this. Um, you know, basically, the investors I'm speaking with, they've gotten increasingly bullish on EM local currency versus hard currency debt at the moment. And, you know, a large reason for that, I believe, is that, you know, EM currencies have been particularly resilient this year, right? Um, so from my perspective, and not just this year, I mean, going back to October of last year, I mean, what are your thoughts on EMFX in the current environment? I mean, just how long is the runway for dollar weakness? Well, I would say that uh, certainly the uh, the recovery of the euro against the dollar that we saw early in the year uh, has helped 
sentiment, uh, but it, it's been kind of a reversal uh, in, in, in recent weeks, as, uh, as we know. And uh, the strength of the EM effects, uh, including in, in this time zone, uh, especially in, in the uh, CE uh, region, is largely due to the fact that um, th- there's been... Uh, a lag. There's been a decline uh, in uh, the adjustment of uh, domestic uh, policy rates and, and, and therefore domestic market rates uh, to the uh, global growth environment, which is looking increasingly fragile. And the main reason is that inflation domestically is a huge political issue. And policymakers are not in a position uh, to ignore uh, that concern. So uh, the, the rates have yet to be cut. And, and that delay uh, in, in, in policy uh, rate adjustment has, has kept these currencies so strong. Clearly, at some point, uh, the, these cycles will get underway. I mean, we will have uh, easing. Uh, but the stickiness of inflation, especially core inflation, means that these cards are not going to be front-loaded. They're not going to be uh, aggressive. And, and the central banks, uh, you know, are largely credible, although, I mean, in, in, in certain instances, uh, such as in Poland, some of the policy statements, uh, especially kind of uh, hints of uh, an early start of uh, the easing cycle uh, sort of potentially coinciding with the parliamentary elections in, in, in the fall are concerning because, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, core inflation in Poland has yet to peak. So to cut, start cutting infra- inflation, to start cutting rates in, in, into persistent strength of, of core inflation is dangerous. One may even say reckless uh, in the longer run because you might have to reverse these early cuts. You know, you mentioned something in the beginning of your response there about euro dollar, and I just have to take this moment for our audience. You know, we put out an amazing research deck just today, um, Thursday, the 18th of May, on the euro dollar and how that sits at the center of the EM foreign exchange universe. I mean, and what we did is we used the Bloomberg EM equally weighted spot FX index. We, you know, tried to tease out the impact of not just euro dollar, but dollar yuan uh, on that. And uh, it's pretty amazing just how, especially since the war in Ukraine, the dominance of euro dollar in driving um, FX performance across the developing world. It's just been, you know, nothing short of spectacular. So we want to call, you know, everyone's attention to that. But I guess my last question, Sergey, before we lose you is, what risks are the markets currently not pricing in through year end? I mean, what is the pain trade today, in your opinion, facing not only your region, but global financial markets? I would say, you know, investors globally are happy to project uh, an early start of easing cycle in the U.S. That is still not for granted, although the recession prospects uh, in the U.S. have have clearly strengthened, but uh, the inflation performance uh, is still a major uh, focus, a major obstacle towards uh, early cuts uh, in our view. So uh, if indeed the Fed will have to uh, refrain from uh, cutting rates for for longer, uh, then, I mean, the the, uh, associated strength uh, of the dollar against other currencies, against the euro, in, in particular, uh, might derail uh, some of these recovery uh, stories, including the MFX that, that we have been seeing so far. Other than that, you know, geopolitics uh, are still unpredictable. Almost every day we, we see a, a, a fresh uh, concern on the horizon. The, the major war in the region, the, the war in Ukraine is still continuing, sadly. Uh, and 
you know the the uncertainty that uh, that that conflict generates uh, is clearly not over. Sergey, thank you so very much for joining us uh, and sharing your thoughts and views with us here today. The great Sergey Volaboyev. You have to listen uh, to his to his. You have to read his work. You have to read his research. Uh, anyone who's listening out there, I mean, he is he is uh, the leading voice inside of Bloomberg on all things EMEA rates and FX related. And to our audience, thank you for uh, for your time, for your continued interest, and you are now um, listening to the Bloomberg Intelligence EM Lens and Look Through podcast on Bloomberg Radio around the world. Mm-hmm.